Welcome to the Lost Tapes of History podcast. You're about to eavesdrop on the first 10 minutes of a private conversation between a Tudor personality and, frankly, someone just trying to do their job. The date is June 1600. Queen Elizabeth's Privy Council has limited plays to only two performances a week. To make some extra money, Shakespeare decides to get some of his plays printed for sale. But first, he has to get them past the censors. Next! That's me. Name? Shakespeare. Can you spell that for me? Not really, no. Not consistently. Is that you? There, on this list. Yes, that's me. Great. So, thanks for coming in. No problem. There were a few too many comments to write them all down. Thought it would be better to do this face-to-face. That doesn't sound good. So, let me just reiterate the policy. Okay. Before any play can be performed, the finished text has to be sent to the Master of the Revels here in Clerkenwell for possible alteration and censorship. Yes, that's fine. For a fee, we license each script for public performance. Fee? What fee? A signed copy of each manuscript is proof of permission, so you will need to keep these somewhere safe within your performance company. Also fine. We've got a lot of scripts here, Mr Shakespeare. It's taken us some time to get through them all. What exactly are you looking for? Allusions to current events are examined very closely. Are they? Any challenge to the authorities, overt or implicit, must be taken out. Blasphemy is also out. Ah, okay. Good to know. Shall we start? There's a lot to get through. Um... As you like it. We can't possibly comment. It's been entered into the register of the stationer's company as a work to be stayed. What does that mean? It means it can't be published until they are satisfied that the publisher is the undisputed owner of the copyright. So we'll have to leave that one. Uh, all right. But just on a personal level, I'm not very happy that Phoebe marries someone she doesn't love and Silvius marries someone that doesn't love him. But as I say, just a bit of personal feedback. I don't think I can... The two gentlemen of Verona. Ah, yes. Get rid of the insinuated rape. Uh, I'm sorry? In the final scene, Valentine offers his beloved Sylvia to Proteus, who has just tried to rape her. That is not going to go down well with female audiences. But it's not... uh... In fact, I'd like to talk to you about your approach to female characters as a whole, particularly the taming of the shrew. What do you mean? Act two. Catherine's father is happy about Petruchio courting her because she's a burden to him. She, however, doesn't want to marry Petruchio, but he still organises the wedding anyway. Um... Act four. Catherine goes to her new home and she's instantly mistreated and refused food. His goal is to tame her and he constantly tests her obedience. Ah. Act 5. 
The men devise a scheme to prove whose wife is the most obedient. It's about who comes to their husband when they are called. Like a dog! I can see how... Uh... Are you a misogynist, Mr Shakespeare? What? Well, your writing suggests so. I think you're mistaken. None of the men come out of this smelling like roses. They all default to power positions and status when pushed. That's true. And the one woman who was a challenge to them with her wit and intellect, they are relieved to see crushed. So, this line. She is my goods, my chattels. She is my house, my household stuff, my field, my barn, my horse, my ox, my ass, my anything. You're saying that's not misogynistic? I wanted to show that women are abused, treated like animals and bartered to the highest bidder. Carry on. They are commodities, not allowed to choose for themselves. It is a cruel society that allows this to happen. Hmm. Well, fine. But I still don't like the word shrew in the title. Can we move on? I have plans for lunch. The Comedy of Errors. Yes? Are you sure it's a comedy? What? It's not very funny. I think that's just your opinion. Well, regardless. Happy with the false accusations of infidelity, theft and madness, but lose the demonic possession. Fine. Now then. Love's labour's lost. Yes. Already I'm annoyed. Why's that? The apostrophes in the title. They seem to be sporadic depending on which version you read. Ah. Do you mean love's labour is lost or the lost labours of love? Does it matter? Yes, it does. Good punctuation is important. Correct it, please. There's also a very long scene in this. It's over 900 lines. So? Yeah, you might want to think about cutting that down a bit. Just for the sake of the poor actor that's got to play it. But... You've also made up a word. Honorificabilitudinatibus. <laughs> I've made up a lot of words. Why that one in particular? Because you are making Scrabble unbearable. Now then, Romeo and Juliet. Yes, one of our most popular plays. Or, should I say, an excellent conceited tragedy of Romeo and Juliet, to quote the full title. Correct. Just call it Romeo and Juliet. That's what everyone will refer to it as anyway. Saves on printing. Really? Few things. I have an issue with Juliet and Romeo deciding to get married the day after they first meet. Well, they couldn't have sex unless they were married, so we had to get them married quickly. Fair enough. I do have a problem with Friar Lawrence, though. And why's that? What man of the cloth would provide a sleeping draught to make a woman seem dead? Ah. What idiot didn't realise that the message wouldn't get to Romeo because the plague is in town and so the messenger can't leave Verona. I can see where this is going. What knobhead tells her that Romeo is dead and stands by while she stabs herself and then goes on his merry way without punishment? It's called dramatic licence. 
Well, I don't want anyone coming to us and complaining when vicars and priests and bishops start copying him and people start dying all over the place. I'm sure you won't. Now, what's this one? The most excellent history of the Merchant of Venice with the extreme cruelty of Shylock the Jew towards the said merchant in cutting a just pound of his flesh and the obtaining of Portia by the choice of three chests. I think I know what you're going to say now. Just call it the Merchant of Venice, for heaven's sake, and try to make it less anti-Semitic. But I'm not, uh... Now, let's turn to the two Romans, shall we? Julius Caesar, or... Should I say Brutus? What? Well, it might be called Julius Caesar, but Brutus speaks four times as many lines as Caesar, and the drama of the play focuses on Brutus. Well, that's... uh... Regardless, it's not a good idea to publish a play in which a ruler is assassinated by his courtiers. It isn't? We're already all worried that a civil war might break out because Elizabeth refuses to name a successor. Oh, I see. And it's not exactly historically accurate, is it? What do you mean? I've seen references to doublets. They didn't exist in ancient Rome. They should be wearing togas. Ah. You also mention a clock striking. They didn't have striking clocks. But if that's all... Mind you, Titus isn't historically accurate either, is it? The title is misleading. The noble Roman history of Titus Andronicus. I'd change that if I were you. Fine. How about the lamentable tragedy of... The big issue I have with this one is the incredible level of violence. There's not that much violence. Act one... Titus sacrifices Tamora's eldest son as part of a burial ritual for his sons. That's pretty standard. Act 2. Andronicus finds his niece Lavinia wandering after she was raped and mutilated by Tamora's sons. They had cut off her hands and tongue so she couldn't testify. Ah. Well, uh, I'll give you that one. Act 3. Titus cuts off his own hand and in exchange receives his son's heads. Act 4, a nursemaid is killed. Well, now, um... Act 5, the sons are killed and put in a pie and served to their mother. And then everyone kills everybody else. Someone is thrown out to be food for the birds. I mean, it's hideous! That's ancient Rome for you! But none of that happened. It's fiction. Fair point. Now, talking of history, let's get on to your kings. There's a few. Tell me about it. Henry the Fourth. Yes? It's anti-Welsh. Not that I have a problem with that, necessarily. So... The biggest problem is that you cannot call your character Oldcastle. I presume it's based on John Oldcastle, the Protestant martyr. Correct. And why not? He's a nobleman with very powerful living descendants. Lord Cobham, for example. His wife is a close personal favourite of our Queen Elizabeth. So? So you're portraying him as a drunken liar. 
He robs a group of travellers to pay for his drinking. Yes, that's true. And not only that, but he's a coward in battle. He feigns death to avoid injury and lies about who he has killed. So what do I do? Just change the name. Falstaff! That's a good name and won't annoy anybody or encourage a lawsuit. Fine. Henry V! Anti-French? Not worried about that. But you are essentially glorifying a war criminal that executed prisoners. Ah. Henry VI. Also anti-French? Well, yes. But I'm worried about the way you've portrayed Joan of Arc. What? I mean, it's very patriotic, but we don't come off well by burning her at the end after she pleads for her life. Oh, right. But we did burn her at the stake. That bit is at least historically accurate. There's also a line in Part 2, Act 4, Scene 2. The first thing we do, let's kill all the lawyers. You'll have to cut that out. Spoil sport? I'm not being sued by the Law Society, thank you. Anything from Part 3? Yes. Cut it completely. You don't need three parts for Henry VI. It's too long. But... Richard II. Yep. You need to drop the deposition scene. It's not appropriate, not in the current political climate. Oh, it's kind of a major scene. She already thinks she's Richard II. Did you know that? No, I didn't. And finally, Richard III. Ah! Another lawsuit waiting to happen. What? Let's start with the title. The Tragedy of King Richard III, containing his treacherous plots against his brother Clarence, the pitiful murder of his innocent nephews, his tyrannical usurpation with the whole course of his detested life and most deserved death. And? It's too long. And it's too libelous. Length, I agree with. I can list the inaccuracies if you like. Please. Richard's brother Clarence was executed by Edward IV when Richard was up north where he lived. Well... No one knows where the princes and the tower went, or whether they were killed at all. Oh, come on! Richard fell from his horse after it lost his footing. He was offered a new horse, but he declined. He did not say, My horse, my horse, a kingdom for a horse! Gah! And he wasn't a hunchback either. That's right, rain on my parade. The good news is that I can't find anything wrong with much ado about nothing. King John... Or a Midsummer Night's Dream. They are free to be printed ASAP. Well, that's something, I suppose. Indeed. So, just a little bit of revising to do. A little bit? If you had your way, I'd rewrite all of them. You could rewrite them in Latin. And most people still won't understand what they mean. Well, that's comforting. Thank you. You hire actors, right? For your performance company? Yes, I have a hand in auditioning at times. Great. I have a superb chap that I think you need to meet. Great actor. I think he'll do your stuff justice. What's his name? Mark Rylance. Have you heard of him? No. Well, fortunately, he's heard of you. Next time, it's Penelope Devereaux and the genealogist. Sounds French to me. The Lost Tapes of History podcast is a Synth 79 production. If you've enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to get more episodes. 
To fact check what you've heard on this person, visit our website losttapesofhistory.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at since79p and use the hashtag lost tapes of history. 